Hello, I'm Crystal Grafton Combs, and you're listening to Coffee Talk with Crystal. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If you have joined us before, welcome back. This podcast is a personal project designed to connect with the women of Alpha Omicron Pi and our greater community of sisters and friends. Sometimes I will answer questions from our sisters, and others I will invite friends to do the same. So thank you for listening, and now let's get to my next conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Tanasia Jackson. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) I am happy to have you. As we were talking before we started recording, I have learned something I did not know about you. Um, Yes, I knew that you were an ELC and obviously a sister in AOPI, but we believe that you may have been the first black woman to be an ELC. Is that correct? Yes, I believe so. I think this is particularly important, given our topic of conversation for today. As our listeners will know by the time they hear this episode, this is part of a series where we are highlighting our sisters of color to talk about your experiences in life and in AOPI, but then also what you want your white sisters to know about how we can be allies and better friends and supporters. And I will do with you what I do with all of my guests, and that is start at the very beginning. So welcome, and I would love for you to share how you became an AOPI. Sounds great. So I am an initiate of the Kappa Kappa chapter at Ball State University, which is in Muncie, Indiana. Um, I decided to go through recruitment as a freshman because my older sister was actually also in a panel and sorority, not an AOPI, but she had gone through the experience and she had loved it and I had watched it help her grow. Um, and so I think I wanted a very similar experience. So. I went through the entire Panhellenic process of recruitment, and I ended up in AOPI. I was thrilled. I loved AOPI the entire time. Um, Going through, obviously, I think I was that specific year, looking back at the stats, I think I was one of about 12 uh, black women who went through Panhellenic recruitment. Um, And I think not all of them, some of them dropped out in the process and some of them obviously didn't receive bids and other things. So I did end up in AOPI. My new member class was, I believe, around 40. I was the only black woman in my new member class. Um, Then I was also the only black woman in my entire chapter. Um, And I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I had a very diverse upbringing. Um, I had plenty of black friends, friends of all races. Um, but my, to preface, my mother is white and my dad is black. And so, um, going through, I am of mixed race, but obviously I love my blackness. My blackness is so much of who I am as a person. Um, and so looking around my chapter and seeing all white people was, different. Um, It wasn't a bad thing, and I didn't think that they chose me just because I was black. I never felt that way whatsoever. They were always so loving and so accepting. But I think also growing up around a diverse group of people, but also having a lot of 
white friends, they would question my standing. Like, did I get into something just because of the color of my skin? Am I the token? Did they need a token? Are they just doing this for diversity? So it goes into like imposter syndrome. Um, but I always felt so loved by my sisters and, and by the chapter in the Greek community when I first joined. So I immediately stepped into leadership positions. Um, I was the freshman standard delegate. Um, I became vice president of administration as a sophomore. And then I grew to become chapter president. Um, and throughout my entire time, all four years, I was always the only black woman in the chapter. Um, I think at one point I was the only woman of color at all. Um, and so sometimes it was difficult because looking back at it, I recognized some things in hindsight that I didn't recognize when I was 19 years old. Uh, I was 1000% the token black girl for all four years. Um, and I don't even think that my sisters knew that they were doing it at tokenism. It was just something that was almost like, like a running joke that wasn't funny. Um, and it was like, okay, Tanasia has to go at the front. Tanasia has to be in the middle. Tanasia needs to be in the videos. Tanasia needs to be seen. Um, and I, I guess at the time, I just didn't, it didn't affect me. I didn't realize it was affecting me, I should say. Um, but I remember when I was running for chapter president, um, I believe there was, there was like whispers and obviously always the whispers come back because it's chapter of a hundred and something women. Um, and the whispers would be like, well, she would be the first black president. She would be the only black president. Like, will people like take that? Well, will people take that in a negative was just a conversation that I was just like, this is so, this is silly. Like, I am one of you. I share the same ritual, the same values. I literally, the only difference is that I am a different color um, and have a different background. Um, and so going through that process was a little bit difficult, I will say. Um, but it, it pushed me to grow, um, sometimes in an unhealthy way, but... I survived, so here I am. Um, and then I decided that I wanted to become an ELC. Um, and that was tricky because there was one other girl in my chapter who also happened to be the person I had ran against for chapter president, and then we were also both applying to the ELCs. So wow. it was like, oh, God, here we go again. I'm being compared to this woman who is beautiful, stunning, kind in every single way. We are so similar. Um, but she is white, blonde hair, light colored eyes, could not be more different than me. Um, so here I am for the millionth time in my life comparing myself and being compared to a white woman who has every definition of like America's beauty standards. Um, so I went to the, I made it through all of the ELC processes to get to the in-person interview. Um, which some people don't know. This is a strenuous, difficult interview. It is very hard. I'll see. Don't just say, I'm going to be an ELC. It is hard. So we go to the interviews. I believe there's 19 or 20 of us, and it's going to be a pretty large cycle of ELCs because we are colonizing a lot of chapters. So, um, I mean, there 
were women from all over the place. Um, I mean, Florida, Washington, everywhere. And so me and the other Kappa Kappa were both, we both became ELCs. Spoiler alert, we're fine. <laughs> um, but going there, I was the only black woman. Um, there were, there's one other brown woman. Um, and I think I remember sitting there thinking like, if I get this, am I, there's this narrative in my head that's like, am I only going to get this so that I can be the, the token black woman on the cycle? So I can show that like, we, we are diverse. Look, we, we have a, we have a black ELC. Um, and that's always just like a thought that goes through your head as a black woman in a predominantly white institution, organization, anything like that. And I remember there's a lot of like break times because the, the day of interviews so long um so you really get to know the other people in the interview room and I'll touch on this later when when I talk about like my visits and more of my ELC experience but it there were like comments made where I was just like wait what like this is what it's like in other chapters because like I don't this is not what it's like in Louisville Indiana I swear um so yeah I became an ELC I traveled all across the United States. I loved it. Um, it's hard being away from home, but I did love it. Um, and I had some great experiences and some not so great experiences, but it made the experience what it was. Um, and then after I became in, after my cycle of being an ELC was over, um, I took a little break, a little breather from like the AOPI world and most ELCs probably do because you need it a little bit. Um, and after that break, um, I actually moved to Nashville, Tennessee, um, with uh, another Kappa Kappa who I love. And, um, I was reached out to by, um, the, the, um, chapter advisor for Kappa Kappa. And I said, look, I would love to advise for Kappa Kappa, but I live in Nashville. And she was like, no worries. Like you can be a remote advisor. So in 2017 or beginning of 2018, I became the communications advisor for Kappa Kappa. Um, and then a year later I, I applied to be a recruitment ambassador. So I am now the communications advisor still. And then I am a recruitment ambassador slash coach for the story. Those are my volunteer positions now. And that is my AOPI story. So, Tanasia, you have said a whole lot in that story yeah. <laughs> that we need to unpack. And and I'm going to go back to the very beginning because I did not know that you had a sister that was mm-hmm. in another Greek organization. So the yeah. first thing, because I do not have siblings, I am always fascinated. Like, What did she say to you when you said, I think I'm going to go this path? Like, how did that conversation go? <laughs> um, not great, I will say. Um, she had just finished her undergraduate experience the year before. So she graduated from Ball State like the same university um, in 2012, and then I was going through recruitment in fall of 2012. Um, and I mean, I was I, so I was a legacy, which is just like unheard of as a black woman to be a legacy. So that was off kilter for sure. Um, but she obviously really, really wanted me to join her organization. I mean, in 
the uh, previous semester, the spring semester, she I was her date to one of her formals. She like introduced me to a lot of women. Um, she was never like pushing me, I would say, or like I don't know, dirty brushing. That was like the term at the time. <laughs> um, I really wanted to show me like her chapter and how much it meant to her. Um, and I met a lot of the women, women and. I mean, I still remain close friends with a lot of her chapter sisters, even afterwards. But when I went through the recruitment process, um, there was actually a woman that I had known from high school that I did not have like the greatest experience with. And she actually, um, I don't know what that organization calls it, but she basically had like our version of a meeting with people and I was released from my sister's chapter. Um, That was very, very, very difficult. Um, And, but I think everything went the way it was supposed to be. Cause I remember like the night before preference rounds, I was in my dorm room on my little bunk bed. Like, what am I going to do? My sister really wants me to join an organization, but I loved AOPI. I loved AOPI so freaking much. (laughs) And so I was like stressing about it. And then like, it was like the universe just cleared the path and was like, well, now you're going to AOPI. (laughs) So I loved it. And I mean, my sister took some time to get over it, but um, it, at the end, she, like, honestly loves AOPI so much. Like, I think sometimes she wishes that she had been in AOPI. Um, she absolutely adores it. She, uh, like, loved that I was in a leadership position and that I was so involved. And it really was, like, because of her. Like, she really pushed me to be there. So even though I wasn't in her chapter, she was just so happy to see me go through that, like, similar Greek life experience. And it was also really cool to just, like, like, compare our experiences in different chapters as black women. We do have the same parents. And so it was just, it was honestly really cool. And it all worked out. So I'm glad I ended up where I am. I love this. Yeah. (laughs) So the other thing that you mentioned, and it's fascinating, because in several of these conversations I have had, you know, many of my guests and our sisters and friends of color, like, reach out, be intentional in cultivating your friendships. If you meet a woman of color and you have shared interest, be intentional in in making that phone call or sending that message. And she says, but oh my gosh, don't just go find a token black friend, right? Because that's not intentionality. That's not sincerity. That's trying to prove that you're not a racist. Like That's not not the purpose. And it's certainly not going to grow a friendship. So I, because you are a, and when I say a beautiful black woman, I don't mean strictly on the outside. That you are. Anyone can, can pull up social and see that. But you are a beautiful, strong black woman who is confident and courageous and and a leader, and all of the good things. When I hear you talk about you were, and and at the time would have been the first black president, and you were the only woman of color in your new member class, and the only woman of color in your chapter, I guess my question would be, did that challenge you in how you were able to celebrate that blackness and to be proud of it? Because to your point, you love that part of you. You love who you are. And I wonder if that if that experience gave you enough of an opportunity to really 
come into who you are as a person? To be completely honest, um, yes and no. It, it pushed me to grow and, and teach myself to love my blackness, but there were so many times throughout my undergrad experience where I did not love it. Um, I specifically remember my freshman year going to a fraternity party. Um, don't do that, everyone listening. Um, <laughs> but I went to a fraternity party, and it was an IFC fraternity, and I think that I was so loved by my chapter that I didn't ever, I, I don't know, I think I hoped that other people wouldn't see my, my like blackness as like an issue, even though it's not. Um, but it goes into a other than tokenism, which I think is what some sororities do, fraternities tend to like um, fetishize black women. And that was what was happening to me. So throughout my entire like freshman and sophomore experience, um, I would overhear fraternity men when I would come into the house be like, oh, I really want to sleep with a black woman. I've never done that before. I want to try it. And I was like, wait, what? And obviously as a 19, 20 year old, all you want in life is to be loved. Like, and I mean, your entire life, that's what you want. I don't, I never wanted to be sexualized for like the color of my skin. And that was just such a weird experience for me because I hadn't, it was just so odd. No one had ever said they wanted to sleep with me just because I was a black woman. Um, which as like, I've grown up, it is a thing that, um, white men do, which is just so wrong in so many ways. Um, and then, so I obviously, I heard that narrative over and over again, which was just like so disgusting. Now that I am like a 26 year old woman, I'm like, that is so gross and inappropriate in every, every way. Um, but then as I entered my sophomore year, I remember like going into my sophomore year and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I had, wore my hair straight all of my freshman year because it, my hair has always been just this huge battle with me as a black woman. And so I was like, okay, all summer I had been a camp counselor. I had been around people from all over the world um, at this camp that I was at in Indiana. And I had felt so comfortable with myself. I wore my hair curly all summer. I was like, I'm going into my sophomore year and I'm going to be myself. I'm going to wear my hair curly. I am not going to let people talk to me a certain way, but you may think you're going to do that when you're 19 or 20, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to actually follow through. So it was so easy for me to slip back into old habits once I got around the people that I had been so used to being with my freshman year. And I started um, dating um, a white man in one of the fraternities that I had always hung out with. And um, things ended like very like weirdly at one point, And I asked one of his friends, I was like, do you know why? And he told me it was because this, this guy could not take me home to his father. Like I could not meet his father because I was black. Oh, no. And that was devastating. And I mean, it impacted everything that I ever thought about myself, like from like a love or relationship standpoint. Um, 
And so I think I remember that semester, that fall semester of my sophomore year, I was sitting in one of my friend's cars and I was just, and she went to go like drop me off at my apartment and I was just like sitting in the car just like sobbing because I was like, I don't understand like why no one will like love me because of the color of my skin. And that was like a very difficult concept to overcome. And I think I'm still working on it to this day. Um, the impact that that made on me and I think from after that, it changed the narrative that I needed someone to love me despite the color of my skin. And that like really hurt my mental health that I thought that someone needed to love me despite the, who I am. Um, and I mean, I don't think I had never, I'd never dated another man in their fraternity after that because it, it really, really, really hurt. I guess it um, And so moving forward, like to continue the rest of my undergraduate experience, I remember I felt really uncomfortable going to like fraternity events or fraternity parties. I didn't want to be the fetishized black girl that people just wanted to sleep with because then you get the, oh, you're so pretty for a black girl. And I'm like, oh my God. There's just so many things that people say that are just like microaggressions. It's like they think it's okay. And so I just, I want it so badly in my undergraduate experience to just be loved for who I was without having to like whitewash myself because I felt like that's what I needed to do to gain other people's approval. I needed to listen to predominantly white music. Um, I needed to dress a certain way. I needed to straighten my hair the rest of the time in my undergraduate experience. I needed to be a certain way so that I could be loved and respected. Um, and even though my chapter continued to love and respect me, I mean, they obviously loved and respected me enough to vote me to be chapter president of, at the time, 150 plus women. Um, there was still this like narrative going on in the back of my head that was like, okay, well now I need to work on my face because my bone structure that I received from my parents and it is not something that I can help, they'd be like, well, you're intimidating. And, and I was like, okay, I don't really know how to fix my face. And they were like, you need to smile more. And, and I mean, I'm like, okay, but like, are you telling anyone else that? Because at the time they were literally only telling me that I needed to smile. And I'm like, okay, well, me compared to the rest of the chapter, I'm the only black woman and you're telling me that I need to smile. And I remember this even happened like during recruitment when I was chapter president. Um, I, people kept telling me, okay, like you can't just like stand there and like not smile because the PNMs are going to think that you're mean. And I was like, what? I am drink, taking a drink of water. I don't need to smile as I put the straw in my mouth. Like it was just something so silly. Or I would be, you know, turning on the video for the recruitment video and then someone would be like, well, you weren't smiling during that. And so it was just like these little like microaggressions that I'm just like, oh, is this like in the back of my head, I'm starting by my senior year to realize, okay, like clearly it's because I'm the only like black woman in the room. And that was very difficult to deal with um but I think you know towards the end I had this like core group of friends who really always were like no like Tanisha like you're beautiful you're insane what are you talking about 
we like love you, which I mean was like a little bit of gaslighting, but also they had the best intentions. They were really trying to make me love myself. Um, and so I, I think at the end of my experience, I had this kind of like this compromised mental state where I felt like I needed, I needed so badly to be as white as I could possibly be. Um, which was really like just damaging. Um, and I don't think that they realized they were doing, cause it was like, it was a lot of microaggressions. And, um, for example, like having to put heat on your hair during recruitment or during a recruitment video or photo shoot. And I was like, okay, but, um, when I put heat on my hair, when it's curly, it looks insane. So that's not a good look. So then I was like, okay, so I have to straighten my hair and I have to do all these things that, you know, will make me blend in, even though I, there's nothing wrong with who I was. So it was, it helped, it pushed me to become a better leader and like stand up for myself and start to be like, no, I'm not straightening my hair. No, I'm not smiling when I'm turning on the video. I am not doing this. I'm not talking to the one black girl who's in the room because I'm black and I can relate. Like, I'm not doing that. Like, you go talk to her. You make her feel comfortable. As the only black woman in the room, that's not my job. So eventually I started to stand up for myself and be like, okay, no, you you have to trust me. You have to love me for who I am because I'm not. Like, I'm not going to let this damage my, my mental health, my psyche any longer. I mean... To me, to hear you unpack all of these things, I just think, and I say this all the time, growing into who you are, growing up as a young person, becoming the adult you want to be is hard. And the idea that you have this entire layer that adds to the weight of that, you just must have been exhausted. Yeah, I think there were some things that there were, there was, I had enough fight in me to fight for some things, but I really had to like pick and choose my battles, which wasn't exactly fair um, because they weren't battles that should have been a battle in the first place. Um, And it was just odd. It was an odd experience. And um, my, my dad passed away when I was in elementary school. So I think some people, they only met my white mother. So that's like what they saw of me. Um, and so, you know, when I wanted to make changes as chapter president or even vice president of administration, that would make it make the chapter more open to different, not even just like race experiences, but like socioeconomic experiences, different types of families. Um, I remember if I made the change that we wouldn't have dad's day anymore because that, or mom's day, we called it like influential woman's day and influential, like just any kind of day. We just changed the name of it because there were so many people in my chapter, you know, didn't have a mom, didn't have a dad, didn't have a good relationship with one of their parents. So like it, I mean, and it also, I mean, this does come from like a socioeconomic thing where you know you grew up in this neighborhood this is how it was um one of your parents passed away they left they weren't a part of the picture and then you started to you joined a sorority and you start to see everyone else with both parents um who live in a big house with a pool who their parents pay their dues and you're just like well i have one parent 
she's amazing, but I pay my dues and I do all this on my own. And so you start to feel guilty and you're like, is there something like wrong with me? Uh, because I don't have a dad to bring a dad's day. And then people would be like, you can just borrow my dad. I'm like, no, I can borrow your dad. That's not how this works. Um, and so it was just like weird. And I think even at the time, if I had a dad, um, and if he was alive and he was a black man, it would have been very weird to bring him to this like experience where he had to like hang around with a bunch of like white men. He would have been so uncomfortable. He truly would have been uncomfortable. And I mean, like, I think I would have been uncomfortable for him. So, I mean, I just wanted people to have like the opportunity to not just like think that they need to fit this cookie cutter mold. I wanted them to be like, no, you are your own mold. You are your own person. You have your own background. You have these things that make you who you are. And you should not be ashamed of that in any way, shape or form. And I wanted to push those changes. And I think I tried to make as many as I could as chapter president. Um, and I think, I do believe that I left like my chapter in a better state because when I look at my chapter now, they are, even like just the new member class after me, they are so much more diverse. And I'm not talking about, you know, how like people try to say like, oh, I'm diverse, I have different interests. It's like, no, I like that's not freaking diversity. You just like different things. You're trying to make <laughs> yes. up an excuse for the fact that you're not actually diverse. Yes. Um, so I, I look at that chapter now and I mean, I went back as an advisor to a formal a year and a half ago or so, and I had a woman who was black walk up to me and be like, people always say that, like, we're so similar, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, well, that's just because we're both black, but also, like, <laughs> I'm glad that I paved way for you to be here. That makes me very happy to hear, but it, I mean, I'm just, like, very happy to see that my chapter has become so much more diverse than they were when I was in it. It's a, it's a good thing to feel like you made an impact. Well, because ultimately, what I hope that people listening to this will hear is that tokenism is not the goal. And weaving the yeah. diversity of who we are as an organization into the very fabric of our chapters and our experiences is the goal, right? Like you being the only woman of color in a chapter so that when a black woman walks through the doors at P&M, that's not how to that that's not creating diversity right the ability for her right. to walk in and be accepted for all the things she brings to the table because of and in addition to her color like that's not the defining factor there it is part of what makes her beautiful and a potential new member right so I think that's where if they are closer to the fabric of of the sisterhood being being welcoming of all cultures and truly making women feel good and understand. I mean, and it seems silly to say now, but the idea that you had to blow out your hair so that when it was put to heat, like it just doesn't make any sense to me because mine won't hold a curl and I destroy it every convention trying to get it to do it. And then I go to the salon and they condition for three weeks and probably curse under their breath, right? But nobody is saying to me, you must do this to fit in. And, it, and that to me is both devastating and hopeful that because you had that experience that maybe others learned from it. Yeah. But this was not your only experience because then you were not so tired that you were not selected to be an ELC. You did travel yeah. with us <laughs> and serve. And I have to say, that is one of the things that I have never done that continually with every cycle... I find myself in awe of the work 
and and the work product, like just all of the good things that come out of our ELCs and this program and the experience. And I love watching all of you as the years pass and seeing, you know, when you come back together at international events and share stories. But you have some pretty interesting ones because while your chapter was very, very welcoming and loving and while obviously still having challenges and you laying the groundwork for many, many things to come, um, you you obviously traveled North America for us. And I would love for you to share some of that as well. Absolutely. Um, I think in, I think to lay the groundwork of why I wanted to become an ELC in the first place, um, I truly felt like, like my work wasn't done in my undergraduate experience. Um, and I had obviously had ELCs come visit me um, and other international volunteers. And they impacted me in a way that made feel like I was enough I was more than enough and that was something that I really needed to hear in my undergraduate experience because people always talk about how you are truly like molding people's minds when they're in you know high school middle school but they don't necessarily touch on the influence that you can have on women from the age of 18 to 22 because you're that period of time can be a very very confusing time as you step into who you are and start growing into who you are going to be for the rest of your life um and I wanted to become an ELC because I really wanted to continue that narrative and tell women like, no, you are enough. You are more than enough. Keep going, push through. Um, and so I applied to be an ELC. I went to the interviews and even one of my first experiences was during my interview process. Um, there was a woman who was another candidate who went to a school in the South um, and she was a she was a colony member she was a founding member of her chapter and so we would we were chatting in like the kitchen at headquarters and at the time my my sister um, is still dating a man who is in an NPHC organization so far the divine nine um, and he also really educated me on a lot of things when it came to that like Greek organization um, and we and I think I had just gone to um, their like their crossing, I guess is what like they would say. But their like initiation, they're coming out and saying that they are in this organization because they have a different process than we do. Um, and I had just gone. I think I was talking to a bunch of other women about it who were in the room around me, and this specific woman like made a comment that was like, "Well, we don't really do anything with them," and I was like, "Well, why?" And she was like, well, I mean, we try, but they just don't want to. And I was like, I don't believe that. Um, and so she goes into this like further deeper conversation. And it was just like, I was just like listening to her talk. And she was like, well, you know, they do their own thing and we do our own thing. And we don't really like need to like intermingle and intertwine with our communities. And I just like looked at her and I was like, oh, girl, I... I don't think you realize that you are being extremely racist right now. And at the time, I was like, this is not the time or the place we were in a job interview, so I'm going to walk out of the kitchen now. Um, and there are still women on my cycle who remember that like moment in that conversation, and they were like, it was so uncomfortable and so weird. So, I mean, it kind of started there, and I was like, okay, like this is going to be like the process when I visit other chapters. So... Um, we get our schedules with chapters we're going to for the fall semester. Um, and I'm like bouncing all over the place, which is awesome. I love that. Um, and so 
started my experience at a chapter in Iowa, and this was a great experience. So um, I was there for the recruitment and meeting, and I got to meet a lot of like the seniors because they were only a year younger than me. It's easy to connect with seniors, but also it's important to push the seniors for retention purposes and making sure that they still feel involved. So I remember there was specifically one woman, and I was still obviously going through this inner battle of my curly hair and she had done the big chop which is what like black people is when you just after years and years of damage to your curls you just chop it all off and you get new growth and healthy curls and I mean kudos to her because I'm not letting go of my hair but she <laughs> she did it and she gave me she gave me some tips and like things on like my hair and I remember I was so appreciative of that I still follow her on social media because she gives like great tips and um so shout out to her and yes. the other day when I made um at the very beginning of um I think it was a May May around the time of George Floyd and all the protests that began um I had made a Facebook post like highlight and it was um the all under the premise of like when was the first time you experienced racism and I highlighted like times I experienced racism throughout my life starting in elementary school all the way towards very recent experiences and she commented on it and she was like you pushed me to share my experience as well and then I did get to see her share her experiences in a similar timeline and so that was awesome I love that so much I had a great experience but obviously when you visit I think I visited 17 chapters they're not all going to be great so my next visit was at a school in the south um it was a smaller school um i was there for recruitment as well and i think i was just getting over being sick um and so i got there and i think i was like a little drained in the first place and then i go in and it is like chaos for this recruitment and i'm like okay like what's going on like why is everyone like kind of in like a weird like negative mood like the vibe was just off and as I start to dig deeper with the chapter president, the BPMR, um, it was unearthed that this woman, who the first night I had met her refused to talk to me, but I just thought that she was just like, I don't know, off kilter. She was focused on recruitment, so I just didn't really think anything of it. But um, she apparently had started during um, recruitment workshops and things, said things like, Oh, make sure all of the black girls are in the back so that no one thinks for the black girl sorority. Um, mm. And I was just like, wait, what? Um, and they were a small chapter. There were only probably between like 30 and 40 members. So, and I think about like six to eight of them were black. Um, and so I was like, Whoa, why are you pushing them to the back? Like, I don't, like, okay. Um, and so she, was an officer at the time as well. She was, I think she was MS chair. She was something on the recruitment committee and she just would not meet with me. She would not have a sit down meeting with me. Um, she would make an excuse every single time that it came to it. Um, when I would try to approach her, she would get very like loud and aggressive towards other members um, to the point where I was like, I don't even want to put the other members through this. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna step back. Um, and I think I was there for a while and I started, you know, like push the conversations and be like, okay, like, why is this happening? And it turns out she had been doing it for a while. Um, they had a dance competition in the spring semester. She had once again said, we can't have any black girls in the front on stage because then people will think we're the black girl sorority. And 
and all of these just like very very blatantly racist things but she was convinced that she was not racist um and so recruitment happened i found out she had had like physical altercations with women and was just like a just a blatantly a bully um and I, that was nonsense and the recruitment advisor at the time was a black woman and they had a good relationship so i think in her mind she was like i have a good relationship with my advisor she's black i'm not racist I'm like, that's literally not how that works, but okay. Um, so um, I reached out. I was had conversations with, like, the network director and all of these people to be like, this this can't be happening. She either needs a stern talking to or she needs to be removed from the chapter because the chapter itself was great, full of very sweet, wonderful women, and she was just spreading this, like, negativity and this, like, darkness, which just I... I needed to be squashed because those black women in the chapter were being hurt and that was not fair to them. Um, and so that was just like very important to me. And I do believe that the network dealt with it because I did write it up and everything like that. And I ended up staying with um, a network director later in my time as an ELC and she spoke to me about it as well. And we both agreed it was absolutely unacceptable. So I think just to like focus on like that experience, it is, it's it's a difficult thing and I think that if like I hadn't gone in and been like okay no like I am a like a strong confident black woman like I'm not gonna let you treat me like this um but she was so willing to treat other people like that and it wasn't fair um and I mean obviously you know there was something in her at the very beginning that the chapter saw on her that made her want to be an AOPI and that they wanted her to be a part of the chapter, but I mean, just, just this ugliness in her showed and it wasn't appropriate. And I, I do wonder sometimes like if, if they had had a white ELC come visit them, would this have been unearthed? Would this have been discovered? Um, because I don't think so. Cause I remember they talked so highly of the ELC before me and said that she was great and so kind and I'm sure she was, but I'm also sure that she didn't realize that there were blatantly racist members in the chapter. Um, and I will, I mean like that, I will always remember that experience as an ELC because I hope that I ended up making it, making the chapter a better place to be for those black women, a safe space and a safe space for also all of the other members who are just being bullied for no reason. Um, and it was only my, my second chapter visit and it was my first chapter visit where I was the only ELC. And so it was very, it was difficult to deal with and it was difficult to see. And it made me wonder like how many other chapters have the similar mentality, but they're not getting a black ELC. So they're not, no one's sticking up for these women. When you have an entirely white leadership cabinet, leadership council and cabinet, when you have an entire white AAC, no one is advocating for these black women and there needs to be a person that is advocating for them if they don't have the ability to advocate for themselves or the confidence to do so. Um, and so I'm glad that that was my experience. And I think that as I continue to visit other chapters, I can, I wanted it to um, continue. I wanted to continue to make that safe space for black women in the chapter as the first black ELC. So I'm glad that I was able to do that. Well, and as I hear you tell this story, 
as as a mother, as a sister, as a human, like my heart hurts for these women who did not have an advocate. And and I think something I listened to in a different podcast not long ago was that white people believe that if we are good, that that means we cannot be racist because racism is linked to big, huge, terrible things, the KKK. I mean, I I live in Mississippi. I mean, that's what it's linked to the KKK. It's linked to lynchings. It's linked to all of these awful things that no one would ever, well, one would hope, let's just say that, consider being a part of life today and still be a good person. And people think, you know, I have a black friend or I have a colleague at work that I have lunch with who is black or I give to Black Lives Matter so then I must not be racist. And yet there are all of these things that are done that whether you realize you're doing them or not doesn't make them any less racist. And I, while I am devastated that you had the experience, I am so happy that these women had an opportunity to see a black woman and to have someone advocate for them in a space that then I hope gave them room to advocate for themselves. And that when you left that chapter, that there were difficult conversations and hard things to cover, but that that they are now in a space where their black women are not in the back and are not being treated as if they are not a welcome part of that chapter. Because again, to your point, like, like we, somebody saw in each of those women, something they saw in you, something they saw in me, something they saw in the sister that they've shared space with for the last three years, right? And to then relegate them to a space that would not be considered as much is not acceptable. So I like I, I hear you say that and I am devastated as a person who wants all the good things for all of the people and yet it just highlights how much education we have yet to do. We now are a few years out from that, which is a little odd to believe. And yeah. you are an advisor and you are able to bring that courage. And I kind of hate that I have to say it that way. I hate that in this year, in the year 2020, in this time and space, that it still has to be courageous to be a black woman in a space primarily occupied by white women. And yet, I don't think that's an overstatement on my part. What I would ask you to share is how can white women, I will quote my friend who I think is a wonderful podcaster and hosted a, a series for a couple of years and, and one of her things, and she is as pale as I am and blonder, and I think hers is natural, so I don't know, um, but she would say, white women do better. Like, we must do better. What would you want white women, your white sisters, and white women everywhere, yes, but, but this is by virtue a podcast about our sisterhood to know about how we can do better. How can we be better allies, better friends, better humans? I think a lot of it is about education and conversations um, and recognizing white privilege. Um, I've had these conversations with many of my friends uh, just detailing the difference of my experience growing up 
and theirs and how you are privileged even if you don't even if you had these tough times in your life it was never made worse by the color of your skin you were able and I and I continue to have these conversations as a woman I am anti-racist I am a feminist I am I advocate for the underdog that is just who I am to my core uh And also recognizing that just because you may be oppressed on some other level doesn't mean that you are equally as oppressed as a black man or woman. Um, Some things that I encourage women, especially with an AOPI to look up, is talking about white feminism versus feminism as a whole. Um, Those are conversations and something that I'm very passionate about. So I've had those conversations with many of my friends who call themselves feminists and I want to make sure, like, are you are you a feminist or are you a white feminist? Because there is something that is completely different, and I think that um, ha- having a organization that is consists of women, we need to have those conversations. Um, so just continuing to educate yourself on racial bias, even within recruitment, because so many things, those microaggressions, you don't know that you're saying you're doing um, to your black friends. Um, just educate yourself um something that i admired about one chapter in washington that i visited was uh they had a diversity chair mm-hmm. um and i absolutely adored it every chapter i went to afterwards i said this is something you should look into a diversity chair it's a great leadership position and something that you should have um and almost like as an organization incorporating some kind of racial bias training into you know your education chapters or recruitment workshop because right now so many chapters are doing this hybrid recruitment that some in person some over zoom some any other way it's so easy to just look at a person and be like yes or no and then inside you have this bias that you may not recognize that like no that woman is probably great but you may not get the chance to know her as deeply because you're doing it over zoom um and so just continuing at a chapter level because i think that even though i aopi as a as a whole at the executive level at the headquarters staff level is full of wonderful women and it will trickle down all of this anti-racist material and things like that um if the chapters if the smaller chapters at their core are not doing the work as well it's not going to have a lasting effect this black lives matter is not a trend it is it is my life um it is the life of your black sisters your black friends your black brothers it is it is my life it's not just a trend it's not a cute infographic on instagram that you post on your story that all your other friends posted as well it is having those conversations with your parents saying would you be comfortable with me bringing a black boyfriend or girlfriend home because if you're not then we need to have a different different conversation um so and taking it taking racism as seriously as hazing within greek life hazing has been this dark cloud over our heads but we need to also put the racism cloud right next to it and take it equally as seriously because there is so much space for black women and women of color and within our community that we have just like shut them out for so long um and i never want someone to feel unloved or unheard because of the color of their skin so just continuing those conversations and making sure it's not a trend as your you know your instagram feed goes back to 
your normal pictures, um, continue to sign those petitions. If you see that someone has posted a petition, go sign it. It's going to take you a whole like 30 seconds. And then on change.org, I know other petitions pop up afterwards that you can just auto sign, continue to sign those petitions, continue to make sure your voice is heard. Because I feel like so many of my friends were like, well, you know, if I was alive during World War II and the Holocaust, if I was alive during slavery, if I was alive during this, I wouldn't be racist. I wouldn't be anti this. I would not be homophobic. I would not be all those things. Well, what are you doing right now? Like, what are you doing in this moment? Because that's what you're going to tell your kids, your grandkids. When your grandkids learn about 2020 and the absolute crazy mess that it has been, they're going to ask you what you did, where you were, what you were doing. And if you weren't doing something, they're going to be disappointed in you. Like, do you want your children and your grandchildren to look at you with disappointment? Because I wouldn't. I want my future children. I want future AOPIs. I want anyone to know that I'm ever influencing that I posted. I shared. I had those conversations. I went to protests in Indianapolis. I did all of these things, and I am so proud, and I am proud of my blackness. I am never going to be ashamed of it ever again, no matter what anyone else says, and I hope that we're encouraging our other black sisters and other black people in the Greek community to do the same. I love everything about what you just said. Every every single bit of it. Um, even when people think, "Oh, it wouldn't matter," I feel like I've been signing petitions for as long as you have been on this planet to change the state yeah. flag in Mississippi. And it was literally this week the vote went through, and I thought, "Finally, I'm 44 years old, and we are going to get a new flag." And and that is obviously indicative of how far we have yet to go, but one step on the way, right? And if you had asked me when I signed that petition or the one I signed a year ago at the gas station down the street or two years before that at the wherever I happened to be, if I had thought that signature would matter, I would have said to you, probably not, but it will not hurt. And my vote matters. Right, And I now have a list of all the people that voted no. And that list will stay with me through the next election and the next one after that. And I think that sometimes people feel like if it's not this big grand gesture, that it's not enough or it's not powerful. But I love how you framed it because as you well know, with your experience as an ELC and with a chapter, hazing is like the end all. No, we do not do it. We do not support it. We are not a part of it. We, if you are, there are consequences, all the things. This is the same. And for people, I have, no one has, has phrased it that way and no one has quite captured it in that same light or prominence. And I think for people who need to better understand how important this is, not only to AOPI, but to being women and to being Greek women, to which we find that we hold ourselves to a higher standard, but what does that mean? And how are we doing it in real life? It is the same. And I have never thought of it that way, and I love it, we can share it with our sisters with such prominence. Um, Now, I will ask you two questions to close. Uh, 
The first is, I can only imagine that all of my black and brown sisters and friends that are listening to this are like, tell me who you follow that's going to talk to me about hair. So who is this person and how do we connect them to her? Okay, her name is Monique. She lives in Los Angeles right now. Um, let me look up her Instagram handle. So y'all get a pen. I really adore her. Like, get a I pen do not, and a paper. I don't know last name. Sorry, what? No, I'm telling everyone listening, get a pen and a piece of paper or pull out <laughs> your phone right now and key this in. <laughs> her first name is Monique. It's M-O-N-I-Q-E. And her entire Instagram handle is her first name, so M-O-N-I-Q-U-E-T-C-H-U-I-S-S-E is her full full name. I don't know how to say her last name. I'm not going to butcher it. Um, But honestly, she gives great fashion tips, hair tips. She has a YouTube channel. I totally support her and everything she does. She's amazing. So... So go find Monique. We love her. Yes. (laughs) The other thing that you mentioned is that when you were younger and in college, you felt the need to listen to white music and to do this and that. So tell me, what are you listening to now? Everyone's in a pandemic. Everyone's figuring out their way and finding new sources of inspiration. What's on your, like, little list now? Yeah, so... um, Conveniently enough, Spotify has um, a lot of playlists between like Black Lives Matter and particularly like R&B and rap music that I think is really important. My current favorite artist is her, H-E-R, her. Um, She's recently come out with some really great songs. Um, I mean, there's like the obvious ones like Beyonce and she's amazing, but I think also getting deeper into you know those like soul roots they are it is good music I promise you listen to it um, and listen to those playlists because you will discover artists that you've never even heard of like I continue to discover things that I've never heard of um, and listening to those playlists on Spotify they make it so easy for you to have more access to that little stem of culture within the black community that I think everyone should listen to I love it Tanisha. Thank you so much. I have loved this conversation. I appreciate your continued willingness to share your story and to help all of us to do better. I can't wait to see where you go next, and I hope that I am here to follow your story. And for everyone out there listening, as always, thank you. And until next time, stay safe and be well. Mm